0: grace and i'm madeline and we're dragon babies dragon babies we reread our favorite why fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults yes this week a conspiracy of kings by megan whalen turner
1: yeah what what a uh, what an action-packed book <laughs> Oh my gosh. One of the
0: best parts of this pod is that we've discovered series that we missed when we were young and devoting like 95% of our time to YA fantasy. And many listeners recommended The Thief and the subsequent Queen's Thief series and... We have been having such a good time reading these. And I think this is the furthest we've made it into any like true series on the pod because this is the fourth book. Yeah,
1: definitely. And we
0: plan to cover the entire thing because the final book uh, finally came out a few years ago. (laughs) Um, So yeah, for all of you um, MWT fans who have been joining us along the way, thank you so much for teaching us about, thanks for teaching me that. Yeah this book was published in 2010 as i said it is the fourth book in the queen's thief series and we're going back to where it truly all began in the first book the thief by getting into sophos's brain yeah. uh, we haven't haven't seen him for a while did not remember who
1: he was for a minute and you
0: know, we'll only talk about previous plot points from the first three books where relevant, but I do just want to mention, for a little bit of context, that in the previous book, the, the previous one was "The King of Atolia," right? It's "The Thief, the Queen of Atolia, the King of Atolia." a conspiracy of kings yeah the names are similar enough that it gets confusing <laughs> yeah everyone the has next...
1: all kinds of names
0: <laughs> this <laughs> the book is called thick as thieves which i like because it's breaking totally a different
1: bit. <laughs> yeah um,
0: but throughout the king of atolia we were hearing that sunis had fallen into civil war and that sophos had likely been kidnapped and was missing and presumed dead so we did get a tease of this, but because in A King of Atolia*, that book is like it's very um, claustrophobic in a way because it's so close up on what's going on with Jen mm-hmm. and his, and it's also told almost completely through the perspective of Costas, the guard. So like we're just really firmly in the Atolian court and not really getting that much outside information about the other countries. Yeah. So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't read this series, we always say this, we're predictable. We love books. We love the books we cover. What a surprise. <laughs> this is a reading podcast. <laughs> but I really can't urge you more strongly to check out this series. It is incredibly well written. Megan Whalen Turner manages to have a new twist in every single book. The character of Eugenides is becoming more and more mysterious and kind of hidden away, but then we still get these sparks of his true self showing through. And this is really the first book where, like, Jen is not the one that we're all focusing on. Mm -hmm. And instead we get a really different sort of protagonist. And I thought it was amazing. Like, what a sort of writing exercise to be like okay I've already created this character that everyone's in love with they would be happy if the next three books were all just like let's follow Jen throughout his day and see what he's up to yeah but instead we're going over to our favorite like sweet baby boy Sophos our favorite has who we definitely remembered
1: i remembered so
0: close you to remember
1: him (laughs) i once i pulled up a summary of the first book then i was like oh okay he's that guy
0: (laughs) he's he's like the little uncertain cutie from the thief Mm -hmm. where we had him and the magus and jen journeying together Mm -hmm. when they both thought that jen was just a common thief yeah sophos it is like Self-doubting and unsure, and internal in a in an uncertain way. Where Jen is arrogant, he is boastful when it suits him, but also mysterious when it suits him. I mean, so with Sophos, where. He can't tell a lie. He says that many times. Because his truth shows on his face. Yeah. Everything is so clear with him. And it's interesting to get to see Megan Whalen Turner write that kind of character instead. Yeah. So check out the series. There's really excellent audiobooks that are read by.
1: Yeah, the audiobooks are the ones on Audible that I have been using are very, very good.
0: Narrated by Steve West, um, he does an amazing job at having accents for the different regions, in my opinion. And then also, um, he just has, it's like a hot voice, <laughs> if that's okay for me to say. <laughs> it's very nice to listen to, I should
1: say. It, he does a great job. Yeah, I didn't think of it as a hot voice, but I, I see what you mean. And I did find it a nice voice to listen to. I like sometimes you get a book that you really want to listen to and you don't really like the person's voice who's reading it. And it's just a bummer. But this this is definitely one that I uh, vibe with. This is the first of
0: the Queen's Thief books that I have listened to largely rather than reading it in print as Grace's audiobook journey continues. I know you all Wait with bated breath as I say very fascinating tidbits like I'm getting better at listening to audiobooks. That's why you're here. Um, but the I will people continue want to, to know. I, yeah, I will continue to update you against your wishes. Um, and I did great with this one. So
1: <laughs> ten out of ten for me. Good job, Grace.
0: Great job listening. Me. Let's break down how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. First off, so there is a single artistic style uniting the this series. Um, I think there are two different sets of editions that I've seen, yeah. and the ones that we have come across are the ones that have a more. Stylized approach where there are set groups of symbols representing key plot themes from the book that are organized in like usually a very careful sort of chessboard feeling way Mm -hmm. where we're getting at some of the machinations. I love seeing that word on the pod. I don't say it in other times, but every time I edit, I'm like, Grace, you have to get it in at least once every episode. (laughs) Anyway, we're hinting at that um, at all the little moving
1: pieces of the different kingdoms. Instead of saying, like, I don't know, my projects or whatever, my hobbies, I'm going to start saying my machinations.
0: (laughs) Also, in a professional setting, like this, yes. This week, my machinations have been paying off. Yes. I'm ahead of I'm ahead of schedule on my most recent machinations. Yeah, it's so good.
1: It's so good.
0: So this cover is. Uh, composed of what what could be like little monopoly pieces almost. We have mm-hmm. little tents in the foreground of the armies, people on horseback on golden tiers that are definitely representing the holy amphitheaters slash prayer ground. Yeah, it's like um, a tabletop game. From Sunnis where the mm-hmm. key vote takes place on whether to make Sophos king. There are birds escaping from a cage, which is purely symbolic, (laughs) which I enjoy. And then on the other side, I'm just now realizing that must be the sacred mountain of Eddis erupting from her dream.
1: Yeah. Right. That's the only mountain they really reference in this book.
0: Big text, Megan Whalen Turner, a Queen's Thief novel, a conspiracy of kings. And then a quote from Cassandra Clare. Surprises and sheer beautiful writing, which I agree with. It will never not be funny to me that the person whose Lord of the Rings joke slash fanfic my best friend Megan and I would read at lunchtime became a very popular (sighs) fantasy author. It, I mean, Sandra Claire. It
1: seems like it's a pretty good way to get noticed to just like be putting tons of fanfic out there. and then if you have tons of likes and shares, like a publisher would totally look at that and be like, oh they they could make money if I publish their book.
0: <laughs> no, and and that was at a point when the internet was still young. And if you made something that got enough eyes on it, it wasn't uncommon for you to get some kind
1: of contract, whether mm-hmm. it's yeah, book, series, what have you. And yeah, I mean, it still happens today for sure, but it's probably Mm -hmm. it's, there's just so much more content.
0: Right. Everything is so saturated at this point. And with fan fiction, I mean, I know a lot less about the world of fan fiction now than I did as a teenager. Um, Talked about that before on the pod uh, as as a one-time fan fiction creator whose Mm -hmm. work is still tucked away in the annals of fanfiction.net. I know that today there are there's enough that you can even like make money purely keeping it as fan fiction. Like you don't even need to publish. Yeah, you could just have like a tip jar you know. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You can have a Patreon or some kind of gated content um, where if you develop enough of a fan base, like you can profit from it. And traditional publishing is a slow, rambling. Monster and <laughs> it, it takes a long time, and it's very outdated in a lot of ways. And so a lot I get the, of middlemen, like, and if you're writing fan fiction, I think it's just more difficult all the time to traditionally publish because you have to work around any copyright issues. Mm, yeah, hence why the Fifty Shades of Grey book are just twilight reskinned.
1: yeah and our copyright law is kind of a mess um because the the internet has far outstripped what the mm-hmm. statutory law is so it's like yeah. you know in intellectual property in general um as well like a copyright law uh There's a lot of cases that are like it's heard and then it's massive precedent and then that's like, okay, that's the new law because there wasn't, we haven't experienced this in the courts ever before because it takes 10 years for an issue (laughs) once it arises to actually make it into a court.
0: Right. Yeah. That is something that I really, I mean, I think understandably didn't get until I got older and was able to look at our legal system through a broader lens. Mm -hmm. Just that like law begets law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like we don't know what to do with this yep. case because there is no precedent. So we have to make the precedent. Yeah. Like, Just horrible worm
1: eating its own tail stuff. Yep. And big business will win because they have the most money and that's how they you win the in resources. court.
0: They the resources. That's right. Hey, that was a little bit of Madeline's Malin's Law Corner. Law Corner. <laughs>
1: For our old <laughs> school fans out there.
0: I've allowed it to creep back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like this cover. I love these editions, especially when you look at all six books next to each other. The covers themselves really tell a story, and I love that they bring in more of the uh, sort of like powerful royal touches. Like, I love all the gold that we get here, whereas the earlier covers speak more to the fact that they're just like out wandering around trying to like figure things out and there's more uncertainty and things are less established. Mm -hmm. Like here we're really building toward like, um, look at my golden amphitheater. Like, yeah, there's an army, there's an overflowing mountain, there's some birds. (laughs) Like (laughs) I have it all. (laughs) And when Atolia, Sunis and Edis become one, you really do have it all. So yeah, good cover, my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Madeline is going to take on a a journey of her take us on a journey of her own, and she's going to do an amazing job. I know it. These books are very difficult to summarize, but here today, <laughs> Madeline will be guiding us, and we're ready and we trust
1: you. Suddenly, I just one eighty the car back into Madeline's law corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: okay, I, I am, I am. You are the Eddis to my Sunis. I am placing everything in your hands. I, I lay
1: it all before you. All right, and yes, I am proposing marriage to you. <laughs> Take it from there. Good stuff. So, at the very beginning of this book, the king and queen of Atolia—that's Atolus and Atolia—or uh, Jen Eugenides is Atollus, the king of Atolia. and they're riding in their carriage, and <laughs> a young man and an older man suddenly, like, you notice them in the crowd, and the young man shoots something at the king. It, it hits him, like, on the cheek, and immediately... With a
0: little shooter... Yeah, with, from
1: his mouth with a not pea like shooter. An arrow. Yeah, but we don't, I think we find out at like the very not for a long time that it was literally a pee that mm-hmm. he shot. He was literally just trying to get his attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they end up in the castle dungeons basically because of this. Uh, why does Jen go to see them? Did the magus, the magus say something to one of the guards? Yeah. They,
0: he says the king would not want to see us harmed. Okay. Um, yeah. And basically it is just hinting like we're secretly important. Um, and then when... And the guards are also like... Okay, yeah. Like clearly, you're doing something weird. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> let's shoot. A let's let the king <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, let
0: him figure it out. And everyone at this point, natalia like in the court, and the guard is already like so over gen because used he's to, like, like whatever? Such
1: a weird mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And when Eugenides shows up in the prison. Um, the men reveal him themselves to him, and it's Sophos and the Magus, Magus of Sunis, our old buddies yeah, from the beef. from the very first book. Uh, Eugenies is really happy to see both of them. He gives him a big hug, and Sophos is like, actually, I'm Sunis, because in in this universe they call themselves like the monarch of a territory goes by that territory's name and uh, so his uncle was sunnis, he is now sunnis because he was the only heir i got and his uncle is dead his uncle's dead i got really confused by this the monarchs go by the name of their territory um so that is why I forgot that. So when... Uh, it's confusing. When Eugenides <laughs> gives Sophos a big hug and then Sophos is like, oh, I'm actually Sunis. I thought, like, my uncle is dead. I thought that Sophos was dead. Sophos was this boy's uncle. Eugenes gets upset about that and then immediately leaves. And uh, Sophos doesn't understand why. Magus tells him, uh, because now they're both kings. So now they have, like diplomatic responsibilities and national responsibilities. They can't just be friends anymore. They can't just be bros. Um, We then then have a time jump. We're going back to kind of the beginning of Sophos' adventure, the saga that leads to him ending up shooting a pee at Eugenides to try to get his attention. And we cut from third-person...
0: Narration to first person of Sophos's account?
1: Yeah, the book is mostly in first person from Sophos, but there are like a a number of like parts where suddenly it's third person. Yeah, when
0: it's important for us to see a broader. Picture of what's happening, mm-hmm. like in these kind of key action moments, yeah, which I thought was really smart. Yeah, no, Megan no that's Joyner switches to the third person narration because the rest of time it's
1: just Sophos telling Edis about what happened okay. while they weren't together. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense. So we go back to when Sophos was living uh, at his parents' estate, his parents' villa. His uh, father, who is the current. Emperors, because we're going back in time. So now Emperor Sunis is not dead. His uncle Sophos's uncle is still the the king mm-hmm. or the emperor, or whatever. A king, <laughs> he's a king. <laughs> so Sophos's father, because Sophos is the only living heir, but the king, King Sunis, is still alive. So he still could produce a more direct heir because Sophos is not his child; he's his nephew. So Sophos is just kind of hanging out. He's like. Subjected to a rotating uh, array of tutors, some of who he likes, some of who he, who he doesn't. He uh, um, feels that he's a big disappointment to his father because he's not the, the man that the future king should be. And he's uh, convinced that the king is probably going to get married again, have children, and Sophos mm-hmm. will just kind of be off the hook. So he's not really all in in any
0: one direction. Like yeah. he neither feels that he should prepare to be king nor feels that he
1: can discover his own passions and pursuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind of depressing his situation at this point. Um, he only has one friend. Hyacinth. Um, <laughs> Hyacinth. <laughs> so speaking of... Uh, it's a very funny word to say Angry. I know. Yeah. <laughs> And I know what hyacinths look like because of Animal Crossing. Yeah, that's right. They're one of the flowers that you can grow. Learn. So suddenly, while Sophos is like just kind of walking through the villa, um, it's attacked. There's armed men. uh, They're all over the place. They're killing guards. They're killing servants. Um, Sophos uh, hides his family in the ice house, uh, and his dad's not there. His mom and sisters. Yeah, yeah. His dad's not there at the time, but the rest of his family is. Um, So he locks them in the ice house. He runs out. He tries to rally the servants um, to stand and fight. The servants instead betray him. Uh, put him under a table. Yep, yeah, they put him under a table. The the armed men come and they grab Sophos and then they're like, kill all the servants. So that was a bad call on their part. It was so, <laughs> as they're doing it, I'm like, I mean, you guys. are going to go well.
0: <laughs> but it's meant to be a moment where yeah. Sophos is being taught or shown mm-hmm. that he can't lead
1: he can't rally yeah and that he can't and yes and part of that is because he you have to have your men like have faith in you to a certain extent you have to have them willing to go to bat for you mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. won't because they'll see it as potentially hazardous for their own health and safety yeah, yeah. so he gets all trussed up and carried off by the armed men and uh, also hears the men saying burn the ice house down. Burn everything. <laughs> yeah, burn burn everything. Burn like the whole villa down. But that includes the ice house. So Sophos is like uh yikes. <laughs> he gets pretty upset because his mother and sisters are trapped in the cellar in the ice house. He believes. Um and then he also hears from outside He has a bag on his head. Yeah, at this at point. point. Mm -hmm. and he hears one of the guards mention hyacinth and so that was like his one friend that we mentioned a little earlier um sophos gets untied and then tries to kill hyacinth uh with his hands he tries to choke him out um but the men like begrudgingly stop him uh hyacinth does not come back does not reappear. Yeah, so I'm sport. very curious about whether he, he is dead. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: what's his situation? Mm-hmm. I, th- um, I feel that he will certainly play another role somehow.
1: Yeah. So the, the men that Soho's is with, this is where stuff starts to get like, uh Oh, <laughs> Uh. the leader yeah. of the men is called Basrus. And he, uh, Beats Sophos until he is unrecognizable because he's hit him so much in the face. Um, because that way, like no one will be able to recognize him. To yeah, he's intentionally disfiguring him with mm-hmm. this beating. Yeah, no, it's very calculated because um, he also uh, cuts and dyes his hair um, and he lies about Sophos's background. He uh, calls him a man killer um, so that other people will be afraid of him. Um, Basarus does come up again later and he ultimately is not seen as a bad guy in this situation. He's seen as someone who's like following orders basically. Um, And, but he is a slaver. Yeah. That's the thing. Like he's a slaver. Good. Yeah. Um, but I guess these people are kind of numb to slavery, um, because it is like culturally accepted. Uh, but, yeah this the slavery part is tough um because it seems so like organic to mm-hmm. uh a lot of these people's lives um mm-hmm. and it makes me worry about the uh, power of any monarchs to truly do good if their uh kingdoms are built on the backs of slaves. <laughs> yes, throwing that out there um so we'll talk more about the slave free later, yeah, yeah. Sophos is like he's going from boat. He's traveling by boat to different ports. Um, he as a as a slave. We haven't explicitly said that, but he's he's been disguised as a slave. He sees some folks that he knows, the family of Baron Hanaktos, a Baron one of the barons of Sunis of of his uncle. Um, he uh, <laughs> sees Baroni, who is the Baron's daughter, who is described often as beautiful uh kind but very stupid and he makes hard enough sad puppy eyes at her that she buys him um to get him out of the situation but like she she does it sneaky because bazars was not actually trying to sell him yeah he meant to
0: he only did all this to get him out of Soonus, yeah uh, out of the immediate area. He just wanted to disguise um, and him. then he has th- his set person who he's bringing him to who's the one behind the plot, but Sunus doesn't know who that is yet.
1: Yeah. Um Sophos. Sorry. At this point he's just Sophos. <laughs> so he uh ends up back at the hanaktos um household but since they don't want him in the house, they don't want to deal with him, uh, they tell Baroni that he ran away and he ends up as a field slave. Um, so that is his big uh, going from you know his previous life and now he's going to be here for a while. I expected it to be more of the book, honestly, uh, him being in captivity, but um, the Megan Whelan Turner books never stay in one place for long. <laughs> Totally. Well,
0: and he is a slave for a while. That's the one part of the book where time actually passes
1: quickly. So how much Um, is it supposed to be? How long?
0: We don't ever know, but we do have seasons changing. We have multiple festival days that he's allowed to go to. Like there are context clues that show that it is months maybe more than a year passing in in my opinion like that's how that's how i read it and he also physically completely changes he develops like pretty deep rooted friendships and like falls into the social hierarchy there i think it's a good
1: amount of time okay While amongst the slaves, while he is a slave, uh, the other slaves are kind of scared of him because of his reputation as a man killer. So that kind of helps him out. Um, Mm -hmm. And he tells them that his name is Zek uh, without remembering what Zek means. And it means rabbit. So then the men, uh, they call him Zekush, which means bunny, (laughs) which is great. I, I liked that. It is cute. And Sophos then starts dreaming. He's communing with the gods. Uh, he dreams about a really beautiful library that's stuffed with books, um, and that there's uh, snowy mountains out the window. And he spends his dreams reading books, which honestly, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish that I could yeah. spend my sleep time reading books. Learning, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's like a huge life hack, I feel. <laughs> I agree. Um, and he has a dream tutor as well, uh, who is a woman and she wears white clothing, um and she she tells him she's trying to teach him about like being a good leader um about like the connectedness of like the natural world basically and humanity and how like it's it's in general like pretty big picture but also like important things that he needs to be taught if he's going to be a good leader which is basically what she's training him to be because she is she's either a god or she's a messenger of a god she's a god yeah yeah we find out like towards the end of the book that she's a god so we have another inciting action event um when sophos and another slave are out and uh the other slave like runs into a soldier and the soldier is like rawr, 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 rawr. Um, He's basically trying to, like, bully them, uh, hurt them badly. Uh, Sophos defends him, and he gets beaten for it because he gets, like, the guard tells on him, basically, and he goes to his slave master and says, like, this happened, and then the slave master does what he's supposed to do, and he beats Sophos. Around this point, Sophos sees his dad. (laughs) His dad, not in a dream, but in person, um and it realizes that he's here to see this baron uh mm-hmm. and he's he's talking to his tutor after this um and the in like the dream tutor tutor who is a god, and the tutor's basically telling him like you have to make a choice, like are you just really gonna stay here and that's gonna be it or are you gonna like carp those diems and get involved and step <laughs> up and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sophos has been
0: struggling with his experience of like finding satisfaction and fulfillment in, you know, being a, he's like building walls at this point in the fields and he's good at it. He's good at like fitting the different rocks together and creating these structures. And at the same time, he's questioning, am I a leader? Because he keeps comparing what's happening to him to when Jen was you know beaten, and when they saw him as like something like a slave, mm-hmm. and he s- said that every time Jen was beaten by the Magus, he would you know leap up from the ground and be like filled with rage and pride. Whereas Sophos is like, you know, I'm just going to try to like keep my head down and heal and like get this out of the way. Mm -hmm. And he's saying to himself, like, am am I a man? Mm -hmm. Am I a leader? Like, I don't like the conflation of like man with leader, obviously. But from this perspective, it makes sense that he's framing it that way. Mm -hmm. So he's like really having a
1: deep internal struggle. So I just wanted to mention that. Sophos chooses to leave his life as a slave and the other slaves let him go because they kind of figure that he's got other stuff going on anyways. They can tell that he hasn't been a slave He's like before. obviously a secret prince. <laughs> yeah, um, and he ends up in the castle after like getting through some other people, having scrapes that make it seem like he's going to not be successful at this. He, gets, he finds out when he's trying to... Uh, get Baroni on his side, basically that the Baron is uh, planning to kill his father and his men at this dinner that they're at. And so Sophos uh, goes to his father and he just like whispers in his ear, like, they're going to kill you. (laughs) Like he's disguised as a servant. Yeah. Like wait for my signal. Um, And then he does this to all of his father's men or not all of them, but as many as he can. Uh, he gives the signal, which is him smashing an Amphora. There is fighting. Sophos manages to get away. And at this point, I'm going to start so calling his him Sunis. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's with his dad. His dad's like, you're the king. Woo! <laughs> My son Your is the king. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, his uh, he also finds out, because the Magus is there, I think the Magus tells him that... His the rest of his family, the mother and sisters, were not actually they didn't die from smoke inhalation in the ice house cellar, they are alive, but they're being held captive um, by uh, Baron Hanaktos. The Magus and Sophos's father, they have like a disagreement over whether they should uh, ally with the Medes or not, basically. Um, they're arguing about whether Hadnoctos is being controlled by the Medes, like to do it's all this treachery. Confusing. Yeah. Um, and Sophos's father wants to ally be, with the Medes, uh, versus, versus the Magus wants, uh, to make an alliance with Melenza, which is a country that I haven't heard. A whole heard. different
0: country yeah, that totally we don't even need one. to worry about. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. And we meet the Mead ambassador, Akratenish. Akratenish. Um, Neither of the Mead ambassadors are much fun, and there's two of them. And it like meat ambassadors just show up to lie and like be manipulative and Mm -hmm. it works a lot of the time it really it it works way
0: too often for how duplicitous and obvious they are in their deceit because they just say whatever the person wants to hear at all times exactly i keep thinking about how easy it would be to be a meat ambassador because it's just like (laughs) make them feel good (laughs) (laughs) get them drunk
1: (laughs) Uh, the Magus then hatches a plan to get Sophos out of this camp because he he worries about treachery, um, especially how fragile uh, Sunis's uh, position is right now. So he he like fakes having a heart attack, basically, and then mm-hmm. Sunis goes to see him, and then he's like, "We gotta go." Um, so then they run away, like as their tent is getting set on fire. <laughs> like, yeah. This, this is the point. This is when we meet back up. So. Yeah, this, this is when the timeline resumes. Um, so we start over or we start back at the beginning with Sunis still in the king's dungeon or rather just gotten out of the king's dungeon because now Eugenides knows who they are. Um, and I thought that this would be the end of the book, but when I got to it, I was like, oh, there's a lot of book left. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing had really happened. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was like his whole story. I was like, uh, okay, I knew I knew what more was coming. Uh, Eugenides is difficult for Sophos to deal with once he gets there because he's very cold and distant and just like kind of a jerk. <laughs> he's being Eugenides and he's feeling some type of way about something. Uh, and he's in king mode. Yeah, yeah. And he's in king mode. And Atolia is in queen mode. And Sophos asks for uh, their alliance, basically, so that he can retake his country um, from his like barons, his unruly barons uh, who are have all kinds of machinations. <laughs> And what he really wants from them
0: is just like money and troops. He doesn't want to create some larger political alliance yeah, he just with wants Atolia. Some help. Because technically there's also a war going on between Atolia and Sunnis mm-hmm. at the time. That's like one
1: of the many conflicts. Yeah. And we basically find out that um they're not going to do that unless Sunis uh, swears allegiance to them uh, yeah. because they're, like, using it in a political way. Um, and also gives up some of his islands to yeah. them. So
0: there's also, mm-hmm. like, land-changing mm-hmm. ownership.
1: Yeah. Um, and then we find out that Sophos, or Sunis, and Edis have had a thing that... Well, I, we knew that they were into each other. You don't remember that? No. <laughs> I don't remember that. And Eddis is also, like, being used by Atollus and Atolia in order to, like, play telephone and communicate back and mm-hmm. forth. So she's kind of mediating because Sophos is really upset. Uh, he, like, he doesn't know if Eugenides is still his friend or not and the mead is in there, like, whispering sneaky mm-hmm. things at him. Meadling. Yeah, he's meadling. uh. <laughs> And then ultimately, Edis tells uh, Sophos Sunis a parable. It's the story of Polystrictes, uh, who gets goats from a god. He gets like a ton, a ton of really lovely goats. um, And they come to their names being called, which is part of why they're special. And then there are too many goats. And they misbehave. Yeah, they're misbehaving (laughs) goats. They're getting up all on the roof and stuff. Um, so then the god who gave him the goats also gives him a dog to mind the goats so that uh, polystrictes only has to remember the dog's name um, so there's your lesson about like if you are if you have control over the person who has control over all the people then you have control over all the people
0: and because of the rebel barons that make up the actual like leading power within Sunnis, Sophos needs to find his dog to manage them.
1: Sophos. And Edis, it looks like they're probably going to get married. Uh, Edis, she finally says, like, yes, I accept that proposal um, that she never responded to before, like Grace said, and they plan to get married once he's crowned as Sunis. So there's there's a, a stretch of time that's just like Sophos and Atolis, like failing to connect with each other. <laughs> just like really bad negotiations
0: it's really like awkward um and there's tons of people listening and he's still not having any private conversations with
1: Jen with Atolus yeah um they they end up um they don't spar but they spar people at the same uh location like within uh watching distance of each other um and he learns uh like i don't know there's more lessons that are being learned there and he finds out that eugenics about how the
0: mead fights because jen wants to prepare himself to fight his old mead um nemesis
1: and he learned from him and uh sophos ends up pushing over eugenides and yeah he like flips him with his sword yeah and then it breaks eugenides uh coldness and he laughs and then they're friends again and then they have a secret yeah they slumber party yeah they (laughs) they go they go to a tavern, um, and uh, Eugenides gives him more like honest information about uh, how he's doing and how he's feeling. He sounds very paranoid, um, But he and- also says that he actually loves Atolia, the queen, which you know which Sophos didn't know.
0: Sophos never understood and was like, "Why did they get married?" Mm-hmm. Um, so he's seeing like some of his actual humanity.
1: Sophos doesn't want to choose a violent option when he goes back to Sunis, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Atolia is like, you have to find your biggest enemy and kill him, and then it will make other people fear and respect you. So uh, Eugenides... And at
0: this, we skipped this, but at this point he did agree that Sophos is allying Sunis with Atolia. He swears his allegiance to the king and
1: queen, and they're basically like his bosses mm-hmm. yeah so he's going back to soonest under that agreement um and it, uh atolia and atollis um, give him some specialized infantry to go and rescue his family and to just like go do his mission um and throughout the mead has been
0: meadling yes yeah. madeline and i you Know that amazing pun that I made earlier, um, and also tried to get him drunk and tried to get him to make
1: promises to ally with the Medes. Sophos leaves with his troops, he's trying to go find his family, um, and then he gets captured by the rebel barons in uh, Sunnis, and Akratenish is there, also ready to medal. And uh, they take all of his papers, so they take his love letter from Edis, um, but he gets to keep his gift from Atolia, which was a handgun, (laughs) which really classic Irene. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: It's a case with a gun in it and then another compartment that both Jen and Irene said to him, don't open the second compartment until you know what you're doing with what's in the first compartment. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So...
1: He gets a letter from Edis saying basically in code that his family are safe and that they're with her. And then he pretends to kind of go along with the Mead plan. Um, now that he knows his mom and sisters are out of their clutches. Mm-hmm. So we we end up um, at the barons meet, which is the big meeting where the barons are going to confirm to they're going to vote to confirm the king um, or there's going to be more trouble Uh we have uh, um, the barons and the Mead soldiers waiting in a port nearby. They really want Sophos to have a regent, and Sophos doesn't want to do that. Um, he understands. Or if there is
0: one, he wants to pick the regent. He wants it to be the Magus, and then the barons want it
1: to be the Mead, Right, because it's not a regent so yeah. much as like a controlling presence. Yeah. yeah, they want to make him a puppet. They want to make Sophos a puppet. And he, uh, he's not having much success meeting with the other barons. Like, they clearly want to go along with the Mead, not with Sophos's plan and his allegiance to Atolia. Um, And he keeps finding out about the lies that the Mead is spreading around. And he meets the, the regent that the Mead is proposing, who he hates and is very much like, okay, yeah, this, this is definitely what the plan is. They're just trying to drown me out with their own pick. Um so at the actual meet, uh, he goes to the amphitheater and uh has like basically they do oral arguments. He argues his case and the barons vote regents. Akratenish comes out and he's kinda like <laughs> and I liked this piece that his voice carries and everyone recoils at his words because he's so vile. And the
0: amphitheater was built in such a way that the tiniest stage whisper is really amplified. Um, So everyone hears him making the wonderful sound that Madeline just imitated.
1: And so Sophos pulls out his gun and shoots Baron Hanactos in the head. Shoots him dead. That man is dead.
0: Um, After he has a great line um, in response to Akrotena, she said, you didn't think they would make you king. And he says, not after the first vote. Yeah. Boom.
1: Yeah. Cool guy, Sophos. And then he pulls out his other gun, which was also in the box. It was a two-gun box. Uh, It's a two-gun box. Yep, from
0: Atollus (laughs) Anatolia. Um, The first gun was inscribed, the queen made
1: me. And the second gun was inscribed, I make the king. Yeah, and he he smiles with his scarred face and it freaks everyone Because <laughs> he looks like his
0: ruthless uncle.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they call a second goat, uh, not a second goat, a second vote. And Sophos is now officially soonest. Uh Sunis tells... Ak- no region. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sunis tells Akra Tanish to get out of here and Akrotanish is like, well, look, all my soldiers are at the door. Um, yeah. There is a fight. Uh, and
0: uh, there are a lot more soldiers there than Sophos was led to believe. Yeah, he, 10, thought there were, he thought there were 1,000. Yeah, one to maybe two. Yeah, And that's what he was prepared for. So they're heading into
1: a bit of a suicide battle. Hmm. Um, so soon as is angry and he calls Basris, who is like he's the dog from the story about the goats um because he knows that he'll be honest with him yeah so uh, he uh, is able to find out who some of the traitors are Um, And thankfully he guessed right that Henactos was
0: the one who was most closely allied with the Mead because the Mead had been trying to throw him off by saying that he wanted to appoint a different Baron as regent. So it's like layers within layers of who is the real baddie.
1: Yeah. Um, Baroni shows up again and she's flipping out and... I feel bad for her because like she's very clearly like being controlled by her parents yeah, she's
0: been used as a pawn in all of this, and she was supposed to marry as soon as or yeah. so her
1: parents said yeah that yeah, exactly they said that that was the plan, and baroni was supposed to be queen um and soon as like baroni didn't know it was just her parents, or she did know, but she's not like really complicit. <laughs> She doesn't really but, know but what's now going her, on. But now her mom is really valuable to Sophos because she,
0: her husband's dead. She wants to like move forward in whatever way is safest for her and her daughter. So she has all the information about all the double crossing that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And instead of continuing with the means, she is going to work with
1: soonest. Yeah. Um, so, Sounes takes his his army what's left of it um and his barons and they go to Onea. and it, even though his army is is fighting well the means outnumber them a lot uh and he figures out a tactical place to meet them yeah. so that they
0: can like only handle a few of them at once mm-hmm. um yeah, but they'll eventually they'll eventually them. all die
1: yeah yeah um so he's like running and running and then suddenly in front of him there's a bunch more uh soldiers because um Atollus sent them so suddenly they're not going to be slaughtered by this massive force and the medes run away <laughs> they're beaten yeah the medes, they head back to their ships the, the medes peace out um, and finally, uh, Sunis gets to see his family, his mother and his sisters. There's like drama with Edis and Sunis because we find out that if they get married, then Edis would also have to make the same kind of allegiance deal mm-hmm. for Atolia um, that Sophos did. Uh, they, they because have- he can't be beholden to
0: another kingdom.
1: Yeah, and they, they do have, like, a, a kind of frustrating fight over it. Um, but after they yell at each other, they, especially Sophos, they uh, come around, basically, and Soonis like, accepts that uh, Edis would want to do that and isn't, yeah. like, just giving up that for him. And she reveals that
0: she's been having these terrifying prophetic dreams of the mountain uh, in the center of Edis erupting. And so she wants her people to leave. So she actually has like, she's having some omens that she should give up rule. Mm -hmm. Um, And she does love Sophos. And also she lets him know that like she was there during all those dreams and his tutor was a goddess and it was actually Atolia's Tolia's library that they were meeting it. and she shows him the library and he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. So like the gods have interfered in such a way that this is clearly what is supposed to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is fate. It's what the gods want them to do. I am interested to know what ultimately the gods' ends are uh mm-hmm. give it, like do they want better lives for the people? Or like what they just they want there to be kings and queens? Um you, you know what I mean? Like what do the gods want? What's this well, is yeah, this is all the means. What's the ends? But that's like the question of the entire series. Well, I feel like maybe don't the gods know. are like just like I don't know.
0: Church I feel like you're sometimes. being
1: reductive.
0: <sighs> <laughs> no, I mean the the whole like fantasy piece of this series is the extent to which the gods are involved in the humans' lives, and it is a reimagining of the Greek god and human interplay, but done in a much more complex political-minded way. As opposed to the gods, you know, just like openly serving their like immediate desires and whims. Um, So we still don't know the answer because we're only on book four. I guess I just have a hard time trusting the gods when... I don't think you should trust the gods. I think they're also unreliable narrators. I'm not saying you should trust them. I'm just saying it's still
1: very unknown. Well, yeah, no, that's why I'm like, I don't know what the gods want. (laughs) I agree. Me neither. I you agree. You said it was reductive. <laughs> I said it was
0: reductive for you to say that the gods are jerks. <laughs> that's what I was saying. You said, I feel like they're just jerks.
1: I, I feel like sometimes they are. <laughs> I'm not,
0: I'm standing i standing by them. That's fine. I just mean, I think there's more going on. Than that. I'll that's believe all. that when I see it, they have one more book, <laughs>
1: two more books. There are two more books. Oh my God. Um, there are two more. So at the very end he goes to have a conversation with Eugenides and Eugenides tells him that he thought Sunis knew about the reinforcements waiting at Onea um, but that Sunis didn't actually know. It was again one of those just like faded things that he took his troops there at all. Sophos just is like well I knew you would send help uh, even without being told or maybe without even realizing it because I don't think he did. It was more of just like we're gonna do this now <laughs> um, yeah. which again goes with the theme of being like guided by the gods um, mm-hmm. and uh, now both of them are friends again at the end of this book after at the very beginning Eugenides was super upset to find out that Sophos uh, was king but it seems like they've managed to like make the proper allegiance and now they can be friends yeah Okay, good job. It was like 40 minutes long. <laughs> really long.
0: Yeah, I guess. Okay, so we, we hadn't read this series before. Every time we cover a book from it, it is new to us, so no old impressions. But I do want to like just dive into what we were already um, arguing about a moment ago. I think this series is so good um, for so many reasons, and it's really unique for a lot of reasons as well. And I think Megan Whalen Turner, when it comes to the gods and their involvement in the humans' vaccinations, is—it's uh, so limited. Yeah, Madeline's doing nice little sneaky fingers. <laughs> um, it is so limited in a very intriguing way. And our portal to the gods, our conduit for most of the series, is Jen we also get edis as one a little bit but jen is the one who has these like immediate direct links and really bizarre moments where the gods show that they're using him as like a direct handpiece mm-hmm. like in the previous book when jen is basically trying to fall off of a building and they, and he <laughs> shows that he's he's suspended in the air yeah. <laughs> like it's a really eerie really well done moment Where the gods are showing their hand a little bit more, and they're like, No, 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 you're ours. And when Edis is talking to Sophos, and they're talking about their dreams and, you know, whether they're real or not, and like godly intervention, and Sophos says, in like a kind of offhanded way, Well, I wonder what Jen dreams about. Mm -hmm. And Edis is like, his dreams aren't dreams. Like he's so barely in this real human world that we live in. So much of him is in like the God realm because of the ways that they use him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus basically uses the phrase that for him, he has a, a thin veil between yeah the gods and the humans and he has to just kind of tread that line. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where like we do get hints about what the gods are doing and I don't think it's a coincidence that these are also books that are full of tricks and deception and every book has its own twist and everything is so Layered and so hidden away. And we, as the readers, are having to constantly be figuring out exactly what it is that's happening and what Megan Wayland Turner is trying to get us to figure out mm-hmm. and what she's intentionally hiding from us. So that's like kind of all mirrored in the way that the gods are proceeding through the humans and through the like little bits of their intentions that we get hints of, but it's just hints. And I like how confusing and complex and, um, just clouded all of that is because it makes for a really interesting reading experience. So that's why I like, you know, responded the way I did when you asked, what do the gods want?
1: I think I got pretty stuck on the slavery thing with this book and I kept just going back to, like, why don't the gods stop, like, human rights crimes? <laughs> yes, I mean,
0: which is an important question to ask, but, like, yeah. the gods don't care about human life in that way you know what i mean like yeah it is more of like a greek
1: god way where they're just kind of like like, it's
0: (laughs) and it's like sort of like barbaric in some ways in terms of like they're not concerned with like what the little people are doing they have some kind of broader aim and we just don't we just don't know what that means but then there's a lot of real fears from even the, you know, bigger, like the more important people like Sophos Mm -hmm. being really concerned that he did violate the sacred treaty that the humans made with the gods. Do you remember learning about this way back in the thief? Like we get laid out some of the tenets of like the human God agreement in terms of what humans are allowed to do and what they won't do. And one of those is to not, like violate a like peace talk on sacred ground or something along those lines. So when he shoots the Baron Hanectos and then also in addition to shooting people at all in this, on this ground, he also shoots an ambassador and you can't, you know, be violent towards an ambassador from another country. They're supposed to be there like purely as a mouthpiece, not as a soldier. Um, And so then he, for the rest of the book, is like, oh, my God, I violated that. I violated that. I Uh violated that. And then the people who are in more direct communication with the gods, Jen and Edis, both literally say to him in this really casual way, pay your fine. Yeah, just pay your fine. Just pay your (laughs) fine. Like, if they were going to do something about it, they would have done it already. And he also has that really funny moment where he, like, very cavalierly, as the ambassador is like, I'm an ambassador, you can't shoot me. He, like, holds his hand up to see if someone's going to strike him down and nothing happens. Yeah. The presence of the gods in this book is really different from the other ones, where we get these, like, really dramatic, intense moments featuring them. Like, the scene at the end of The Thief, when Jen is actually taking Hemiathie's gift, and, like, the gods become alive and the statues around him, it's such an incredible moment. I feel like we haven't... We're, like, getting progressively, like, chiller with the gods Mm. as time goes on from that kind of, like high watermark um, because here it's like oh a god comes and like tutors him and his dreams (laughs) in a library (laughs) and teaches him (laughs) and he thinks they're just dreams too like nothing nothing even really that important happens in them like he gets to read and study and learn and like figure out how to become a king but there aren't like important plot moments in those dreams and I was thinking about this because in the summary that we were both kind of going off of they mention the parable that he learns in the dream, which we didn't go into detail on because I feel like it's not important to the plot. Whereas the one that Edis tells him is hugely important because that's the one about the goats and getting a dog to handle them. Um, The other one's more thematic because it's about like, it's like, Oh, when given the choice of, you know, protected by this wolf is a sword and then treasure, which do you choose? And the guy picks the wolf because he's like, either of those choices will take me down a difficult path, whereas mm-hmm. the wolf, like, is the means of survival. So, like, that's more vague, you know? That's just more conceptual, obviously, than the really nice, clean, like, get your goats under control with a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's much more practical in this situation. It, okay, I'm sorry, I know I'm rambling, but, like, there's so much to talk about with the way that this
1: book works with the way the society works yeah um what's i gonna say oh always a good call to get a dog <laughs> <laughs> i'll agree especially, with the gods on that
0: one especially if you have a hundred goats <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah definitely then give five dogs
0: um okay so that's the gods. That's what they're doing. And that's why, like, we we know we no longer in the podcast explicitly ask during the episodes the question is this YA fantasy? Um, I feel like, like our we, point's been proven. <laughs> we hit on that in all our discussions anyway. But like, I do think this series is really interesting when you look at it through that question, because the answer is definitely yes. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's a little harder to ferret out the uh, components that make it so. And I think that's just why the series is so sophisticated. Like that's a testament to how sophisticated Megan Whelan Turner's writing is Mm. um, and how subtle the fantasy is as opposed to, you know, there's not like a dragon flying out and smacking you in the face, but (laughs) there is this like very specific, you know, Greek inflected, Empire, yeah, but they also like have guns um and like watches, um, and these very specific like technologies that were not historically present yeah no, they mentioned that they have world.
1: artillery like an entire artillery right. unit i was like huh right
0: <laughs> yeah exactly like that's interesting um and then on top of that i mean it's a whole new group of gods like none of these are greek or roman gods these are gods that megan whelan turner created for this series and mm-hmm. like we were saying they don't act the way that Greek and Roman gods do. Like yeah. they're not involved with humans in that way. It feels they're, more They're not like, banging them. They certainly... Oh my God. <laughs> in this series, that's like, I can't even, you know, imagine. Yeah. Like that's... Uh, no, that's, no. That's never, like most so of Greek close. mythology. <laughs> right, exactly. Where the gods basically are humans. These yeah. gods aren't. And like, I do think that they... I think from everything we've been shown, I think the gods have a really long timeline that they can see Mm. far into the future. So I think that's why they make these nudges to help get the progression of these kingdoms and their allegiances to like more closely follow the predetermined path,
1: if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's it reminds me a little bit of um the Tamara Pierce Pantheon. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um and uh, I think that's part of why I'm getting hung up on the the human rights stuff is because Yeah, let's talk about that. Um in uh, in Tamara Pierce's books, like the the people that the gods the except for the like, you know, not nice ones (laughs) Mm -hmm. want to put into place, like King Jonathan and Queen Thea and Tortal are like really pro-human rights. Like Mm -hmm. they they work a ton on that, um, on like outlawing slavery and trying to make life easier for like very poor people. Um, And so to me then it's more like, oh, okay, like I can... I'll I'll accept that Mm -hmm. like, maybe it's a good idea to listen to the gods. And I know that that's like part of, especially like Eugenides' journey is being like, I don't, why do I have to listen to you? Like, can I escape Mm it? Um, Mm -hmm. And like, I also share that like, but why? Like, why Mm -hmm. do they have to listen to you? And Mm -hmm. the memory of the, the charter is good. Um, because or like the you know secret rules of the being like oh there's like no violence rules um, mm-hmm. although when you have no violence rules at the most powerful level of government then they're basically insurrection proof mm-hmm. i don't know I, I just kept thinking about like modern day political systems and they they mm-hmm. literally called the Sunnis an oligarchy which is fair yeah. because all all of those like medieval uh, universes like it's oligarchy um, or serfdom or fascism and it's mm-hmm. all, or like you know the Venn diagram space in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. So I did appreciate that that they kind of like actually said it instead of skirting mm-hmm. around that point. Like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is an oligarchy. It's it's ruled by incredibly wealthy people and they have slaves.
0: Yeah, and in this book more so than in the others because we spend so much time not either in court Mm -hmm. or like a a field journeying. Yeah, Um, we're actually like I mean the first like half of the book is in the fields or the slave quarters, Mm -hmm. and it's a mix of hired field hands and slaves. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also like a sort of uh, like there's a like an indentured servant kind of structure at play. And then slaves can also like earn their freedom because his supervisor was a slave and now no longer is one, but is supervising the group of men. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a lot of discussion and a closer look at how the actual like you said, whose backs actually built this kingdom mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. just like looking from afar at, yeah, the castles and the wealth and the agricultural resources and things like that mm-hmm. like they're the slaves are out there like doing terrace farming, which is like incredibly physically demanding, yeah, yeah it's how sofas
1: um, gets strong. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. At first he can only do like half a shovel full yeah. of dirt when he yeah. starts digging. Um and I think it is, you know, as modern readers, as Americans, as people who live in a country where it has not been that long that slavery has not been permitted and it lives on yeah. in many of our social structures. Yeah. Yeah, like the prison industrial complex. Yes, exactly. Um, It's really important for us to take a look at a society where slavery is just accepted Mm -hmm. as the way that it works. Yeah. Um, And beyond that, necessary. There is a lot of discussion of how many slaves are prisoners of war. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this. (laughs) So... One of the reasons I've loved getting better at audiobooks is that if the book is right, I can listen to it and play Witcher, uh, um, which is really fun. And this book paired with some witching, great combo, <laughs> highly recommend. You can't do like the main storyline, obviously, yeah, um, but I was just wandering around doing um, like finishing up Question Marks and Velen. Nice. Um And it it was great. Yeah, really, really good. Really, like, both experiences were enriched. (laughs) Um, So I played Stardew Valley
1: while I listened to this book. Okay, you can do that too, which was interesting. (laughs) Doing some terrace farming of your own. Yeah. Stardew Valley is, is if you've put a thousand hours into the game like I have, um, it's good for... Uh, like if you're listening to an audiobook because you don't really need to read any of the text um mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like looping yeah. around mining totally <laughs> totally yep getting those vines yep. um but i was
0: thinking about this because geralt notices that yes i'm just i'm just talking about a quest from a small side quest from witcher this isn't going to be a like spoil, spoiler <laughs> for here anyone for it <laughs> Geralt comes across an area where he says, okay, clearly, using my senses, I can tell that a group of barefooted prisoners were led through here by soldiers. And eventually he realizes that they were brought out there just to be murdered. Like, the soldiers were like, the soldier's leader said, we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough food, like, this is Velen. going to massacre them. like a them. horrible, s- stark swamp. Um, Velen, so the worst gonna- place in the multiverse. <laughs> Terrible. (laughs) So terrible. Almost every NPC you talk to is like, this place. (laughs) And the music is such a bummer. (laughs) Every character you walk past is like, oh God, what's the one guy say? He says like that's life, constant pain, or yeah. something like that. It's just, it's amazing. Or like, the pain is the greatest part of life. It's just, it's absurd. Yeah. And uh, when Geralt goes to the quartermaster to talk to him about this, you have a dialogue option that's Geralt being like really angry. And like, you just took these prisoners and just killed them. Yeah, and of course, I always I went, do. I went down that road, and you always take the prisoners and kill them no i always yelled at the <laughs> i know I'm the quartermaster, <laughs> and the quartermaster was like it's war mm-hmm. we have all these prisoners we don't have enough resources to feed ourselves we can't take care of them i did them a favor and in this book series i think this is why megan whalen turner built slavery into the society i think it's because so many of them are prisoners of war or people who were involved in some way. in one of these many, many conflicts that are like nonstop yeah. taking place in this region, yeah. because otherwise, what do you do with those people? Well, yeah, because that's slavery kind of the question, is right? very, slavery is very status and class based in this society in the, in these books. Mm-hmm. Um, It's typically, yeah, people who have, like, no other options or, um, yeah, were captured, got into some kind of violent situation. Um, It's it's sort of random at the same time because Mm -hmm. there are also clearly people that were from, like, maybe wealthier means. But here they are. They're a slave. They have no other recourse at this point mm-hmm. and Sophos himself who is like obviously a prince I mean he starts gaining friends in uh, the slave quarters because he's reciting like perfectly reciting large chunks of, of poetry um, poetry um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, from like their epics mm-hmm. um, so so that is all very interesting. Two. I don't know if I have, like, a big conclusion here, but I guess I'm saying I see why she used it, and... You mean, like, instead of having them killed? I mean, like, as a function within the books, and, like, as a system within the way that she built this society. Like, having slavery exist makes it possible to write through some of these situations that's that's what i
1: mean yeah no i mean it's definitely important for the plot especially in mm-hmm. this book um well yeah this i mean this book would have been completely different but and um, I, it does help i mean for me at least it gives me that like wow i do not trust the gods whatsoever if that's like our what well, we're right. supposed to and do it-
0: Well, in coming full circle back to that piece, I wanted to say that the gods pretty obviously don't care about, like I said earlier, about like single lives, about like what the human experience is, Mm -hmm. and they are happy to like follow a timeline that perpetuates the existence of slavery, if it's going to fulfill their ultimate means. Jerks. That's,
1: that's, what, that's what I think. I mean, that's what I think based on everything we've been given yeah, no. in those four books. I, I do think that that's probably what we're supposed to believe. And that's why I say they are jerks.
0: Yeah. Well, and the the slave system supports the, like, it's kind of like a serfdom in a lot of ways, because especially in Sunnis where we learn that the barons are controlling, you know, various components of the kingdom, and then they have their tiers of workers within Mm -hmm. each of their... Baronages, yeah. whatever word should be used there. Um, and if you continue traveling all the way down that, like you get to the bottom and it is their slaves. Um, but like yeah. the slave trade is also practiced between all of the kingdoms, mm-hmm. as far as I can
1: tell. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, but I interesting like discussion about it.
0: No, good discussion. <laughs> and yeah, and I really I think it's like I think slavery is like treated similarly in Witcher, which is why I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I know this, mm, this okay. is not a video game podcast, but yeah, I was thinking about that when I finally went to the video games I finally went to the Nelf Guardian camp way in southeast Velen Oh yeah, um, where, where it's just like barracks, and there there were notes on the board. Am I like the only loser that reads every single piece of text in Witcher? I just think it has really good writing. I
1: know I because it's based on a book and like yeah, a lot of, it yeah, reads like a series of books, real rather. fantasy series. Um, yeah, and that's why the world building is so good. Uh, I have read them all at one point. Definitely not on right. my most recent playthrough because it yeah. was my third. <laughs> that makes sense. This is my first, so everything's
0: new to me. But
1: there was a notice about like how you were
0: permitted to use the slaves that were there at the Nilfgaard camp. And it was like, you know, they, they've been commanded by the guard or, you know, the quartermaster or, like, the lieutenant or whatever. I don't know military terms. Big surprise there. That's fine. um and like you can't yeah command them to do anything else and like leave them alone. And I, w- I was just thinking about like when in these books, there is some sort of level of like slaves rights. And then it's like, but that's all moot because they're enslaved. Yeah. It's, it's an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, anyway, wow. What a book. Uh, we've been talking for so long and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> Okay, so I said earlier that I did really like getting a totally different protagonist. And I think Sophos is really cool. I love, you know, in a lot of YA, there is a protagonist who's like self-doubting, who is unsure of themselves because we're watching them, you know, go on their developmental journey. We're watching their coming of age story. Mm -hmm. But for Sophos, it's different because he's, he's he's learning how to step into the role of leading his kingdom while also like first being enslaved and then being kidnapped again. And throughout that he's having to, you know, someone calls him like a, it's that, that really obnoxious baron who's like the... Who's like the puppet regent who's going to be put in place by the Mead? And he calls him like he uses a bunch of husbandry metaphors. He's like he's a hawk that hasn't yet been seasoned. Like oh yeah, he's. Uh, uh, I, I'm not going to remember the others. They were very boring and poorly put together. But I liked getting to watch him. I mean, choose violence, I guess. It was very satisfying. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did enjoy it. And getting the reveal finally of why Jen made him those clothes with the inside long pockets. Yeah. As he keeps being like, oh, my God, he keeps talking about the pockets. You can tell that Jen is so irritated because he even throws his wine glass after that one conversation with him when Silphus is just like... And I still hate the clothes. Like, thanks for telling me they have giant pockets yeah. on the inside. Like, why would I ever use that? It doesn't help it me. it turns out they're matching pockets for the two guns that he is going to have and is going to have to use. But speaking to, you know, whether we're getting a violence good or a violence bad or something much more nuanced, which is obviously going to be the case with this serious message, Sophos is really torn about the fact that he shoots Henactos, that he like picks war over continuing to try to find a peaceful way to unite the barons mm-hmm. and avoid being you know assimilated by the Medes, and just thinking about all of the consequences of what he chose, and he continues to think about that. Throughout the rest of the book and in the way he talks to Edis, he thinks she might not want to be with him anymore because she is very, she's very characterized by her ability to maintain peace and avoid war mm-hmm. in in a lot of moments. Yeah. But as he points out, when they're fighting, she's also the one who sent Jen to be her thief and steal Hamaithi's gift in the first book, which led to everything yeah. that has happened since. He lost so, his hand over that. Yeah, so I feel like in that moment, Sophos is you know basically saying that it's like you actually caused all of the violence mm-hmm. that has occurred and, and like these huge kingdom shifting events. And you know, I guess my. I am feeling more and more like maybe there is no big godly answer for why this is all being directed the way it is. And maybe, maybe there is just, there's so many different parallel universes and this just happens to be the one that we're traversing, (laughs) like... I don't know. There's so much conversation around, especially in this book, like what could have happened. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? For sure. Like there's a real focus on the, the alternate realities. Um, but we still also do get these markers that like, this is a happy ending. This is a good ending. Like Mm -hmm. Sophos and Edis are getting married. They've been in love for a long time. Um, Like also talking about romantic relationships, like clearly the king and queen of Atolia have a very like strong union personally, but then also because of the way that the kingdoms are being united, they'll actually be able to like prevent the entire area from just becoming The Mead Empire, which is what they are very focused on doing. And I was thinking about this a lot because I always try to, when we're reading fantasy series, re like rewrite the events through the eyes of whoever is characterized as the villain especially in a book like this where we're getting like military operations because everyone's kind of doing the same stuff you know what i mean like yes one group is like defending their land and one is trying to encroach on their land but like who'd they all take that land from in the first place you know yeah, and the Meads. If I look at it through the Mead's eyes, I'm like, look at all this crap that these people are doing to us. We're shown that the Meads are regressive in some specific ways. Um, the one that is most notable is their misogyny. Yeah, um, the belief, their belief that like women can't and should not rule, and when the Mead ambassador, reduces both Atolia and Edis in one sentence to their physical presence, totally disregarding any of their capabilities. And also knowing that the series is written by a woman and throughout the other books, we've learned that the reason Irene, the queen of Atolia, is the way that she is, is because she had Sovereignty forced on her from a very young age mm-hmm. and had to continually evade, you know, attempts by men through like marriage or sex or violence, try to wrest that away from her or make her decisions for her, mm-hmm. which is why she had to take on the mantle of being known as a very violent and ruthless leader because she was forced to that. So Sophos is constantly struggling with, well, do I go that direction or do I try to stay true to myself, my little soft voice self, as I was saying, <laughs> or am I like looking more in the mead direction of like all these slimy, slippery words? But we do we do get moments that show us like the meads aren't you know, quote unquote, like good people, yeah. the way that the others might be. I don't know. Did you notice anything relating to that? I I really noticed the misogyny first and foremost, and then also the fact that they just like don't. They're just not honest. Yeah, but like the sliminess the, mainly like is the, the morality of just constant deceit.
1: Yeah, yeah. The sliminess is just what made me be like bad guy. <laughs> As a clear, pretty clear eye marker.
0: <laughs> they're also—it's so unpleasant spending like concerted time with a mead in any of these
1: books. Yeah, like,
0: they're so obnoxious, and poor Sophos, who just has to be followed around by one at all times um, during his his you know second abduction and then captivity. And uh, he's just getting really irritated every single day. I love the moment when he says, you know, at least I don't have to pretend like I like him. Like, it's pretty obvious to him that I hate him. And he doesn't even try to protest that anymore. But you know what? I really can't stand the smell of his hair oil. Like, I thought that was so funny because that's classic. Like, I can't say it because we don't swear here. But you've heard the phrase, be eating crackers, right?
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
0: It's when you hate someone so much that they can do literally anything
1: and oh, you'll be like, okay, this
0: bee over here eating crackers. Okay. Like there's no there's nothing they could do that wouldn't like heighten your contempt for them. Yeah, fair. I feel like that was a classic I mean, example yeah. of of that moment. Totally. <laughs> no, I'm out here saying the phrase bee eating. Yep. It's <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. The last thing I want to say before we'll finish our segments and maybe someday finish this episode. That Disney Plus has plans to make a an adaptation of The Thief. No, this news was released um at the end of 2020. So it's already been a few years. There's like no knowledge of what this is gonna be like. But as I was reading this book, I just couldn't stop thinking about how much I wished that this series got the Game of Thrones treatment. Um, I know it would have, like, very different results, but I wish it had the budget, the uh, opportunity, and the focus to, like, be a prestige fantasy series. And I think it would have been one million times better, like, with a separate creative team than Game of Thrones. Yeah, but that's true, because there's plenty enough political intrigue And each book has like these iconic moments that would be so well served on screen, especially because the narration is difficult because the reader or in this case, viewer learns a lot through the narration. But I don't think it's one of those situations where... You would be it would be impossible to do without like a ton of background narration because so much of it is internal. Like we're not given clues about what Jen is doing or like what Sophos is thinking outside of like a few really small moments. So I thought those could be represented really well visually without needing like the full like blah 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 blah, blah of like background narration. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, and I eagerly await more news. <laughs> i don't really trust on this one madeline trusts no one neither the gods nor disney are here on earth gods (laughs) they're both
1: pro oligarch
0: that's that's what i'm that's the joke that i'm making that's the joke that i'm making yeah So quickly, animals, just like animals in this book. There's not a ton outside of the goat dog parable, which I do really like. And like as they were telling it to us, you know, even though it was pretty obvious and I was like, hey, it's a story of what Sophos needs to do. I still I still appreciated it. And I think like as a business owner, it's also something I need to keep in mind because my clients are kind of like my goats, and (laughs) I really... Who's your dog? Are you your dog? I am my dog. I need a dog. That's something I'm working on that's in my plans for the coming year. Um, But, yeah, really liked those those goats and that dog. Um, Outside of that, there's not... not really much. There's like horses. all the pigeons that clearly went missing that Jen sent to Flint. Yeah. So let's know that he was sending more troops. Yeah. He was like, you didn't get any of my messages? It pigeons. sounds like he sent a lot of yeah. them. Yeah. So I hope those pigeons are okay wherever they are. They're probably not. <laughs> probably not. No one's okay around
1: here. Um, and I, can't, then there was I can't
0: believe though that his mom and sisters survived. I was... So sure that they were dead. Yeah, but I was not expecting it, that either. Uh, so that that was nice, especially because his sisters seem really cool. Yeah, and yeah, then a lot of a lot of horses. No, like notable birds, which is you know something that you're usually keen on. But no. I didn't really,
1: yeah, don't really get much of anything. Not not many birds, except for those pigeons. <laughs> I say probably may not they, okay because they may they rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, because they they would like eat pigeons. That's why pigeons mm-hmm. are here, right? Is because they were brought over to be food. Food. Yeah. Food pigeons. And then we stopped yes. eating them and now they're taking over our city.
0: <laughs> wow. In a rare moment, Madeline turns on the birds. <laughs>
1: eat, eat birds. Eat the pigeons. Eat
0: pigeons. Don't eat pigeons. We'll don't eat, eat will get pigeons. so many parasites. Yeah. Don't do that. Speaking of eating pigeons. Pretend food. food. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> so slave soup. This is a this is a hungry book. Yeah. Yes. Um when Sofas is a slave, they're, you know, they're fed, but like not very much, to the point that when the other slave, who he you know protected from being beaten by a drunk guard, brings him a, you know, small like attempt at beginning to pay him back. It's an iced cake from the Baron's kitchen and Sophos is immediately like, I know that I can't take that cake. Like I've already messed up the fragile system because by doing him a favor, I've like put him in debt to me for the rest of his life because we're all slaves. Like what could he possibly do to Mm -hmm. help me? And he didn't want me to do that. Like it's every man for himself. Complicated. But I want that cake so bad. (laughs) I wanted that cake we see him wrestling with it. Sophos, in addition to like obviously being a little bit starved, he loves to eat to the point that like once he is king and he's traveling around with the Magus, it's just like a nonstop stream of food toward him because everyone realizes that he's like, hell
1: yeah, bring it on. Which Which makes sense if he's like a... 19 20 year old Mm -hmm. man like he's gonna be hungry (laughs) (laughs) and like going through this period of so much physical labor Mm -hmm. every day
0: and then getting like a little bowl of mush soup um that's not gonna fly like i'm on a kind of intense workout regimen right now and i have been eating so much food (laughs) and it's it's great (laughs) like (laughs) delicious
1: (laughs) I had highly recommend. I had two boba teas yesterday.
0: Ooh. <laughs> did you did you go twice or did you get two? I wanted two. <laughs> they,
1: the place. See, that's dedication. I like boba, but I want one. Because <laughs> want the place we go. Uh, okay, first I can't have caffeine anymore. So uh, the place we go, I can get the milk one. Can- and you're still in the process of getting accustomed to it too, yeah, yeah um actually i'm I'm past like the the headaches and the fatigue well you're past like the stuff. initial I mean more like the
0: lifestyle part of it, definitely, like yeah, as someone who now hasn't had caffeine for like twenty. 20- 12 years. but I remember what the process is Mm -hmm. like cutting it
1: out. Yeah. And like a lot of my favorite beverages have caffeine in them. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's one that you can get that's like just milk with like brown sugar syrup in it and boba. And then there's another one you can get that is uh, like strawberry lemonade. And then it has like squishies like lychee, jelly and crystal boba in it. And they're very different. And I wanted both of them. (laughs) I mean, it sounds great. I'm an adult.
0: <laughs> in the end, they break the cake in half and share it. I don't know how you break a cake in half, but I'm assuming it's like kind of small and hefty. To yeah. To the point that you could kind of just gently rip it. More I don't know, like biscuity, there was something about, I thought. Right. Yeah, yeah. More of like a... um yeah. Uh, I guess shortbread is what I wanted to say, but that's not cake, but I love shortbread. Who knows what Um, they call cake in their universe? (laughs) I also, well, they call it cake, but maybe that means something else. Maybe it's like British, English, and American English. What is the colors that I see? (laughs) (laughs) What if the cake that I read about isn't the cake that you read about? (laughs) That's why we have pretend food. That's why we're here asking these questions. I was also obsessed with the moment when they get some roast chicken while they're on the road traveling and Sophos becomes obsessed with when they're going to eat the chicken. Yeah. He's like, he's really tempted to be like, we're going to stop now and eat the chicken, even though he knows they have to keep that moving. And he's time. like sensitive in his new office. Right. King. Yeah. So he decides like, OK, we'll just keep going, even though he internally screams to himself, we will eat the chicken now. <laughs>
1: Which I feel so hardcore. Oh my gosh.
0: The, the Megas keeps joking about keeping him supplied with roast chickens. And it's just like a wonderful moment of levity in yeah, this great. pretty intense book. Yeah. And then the other, the final, you know, notable food moment for me was the... Uh, liquor, the mead liquor that the ambassador tries very hard to get Sophos drunk on. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty funny that he was trying to get him drunk because, like, Sophos has shown himself to him to be like pretty sullen and, and pretty like, hostile to his really advances. Not, yeah, <laughs> really not into him. Even to the point that the ambassador is saying things like, "Why don't you like me?" Yeah, <laughs> the audiobook narrator really has like a very um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It he, uh, obsequ- it's like obsequious, but also snide. The, so the tone of the the Mead ambassadors, both
1: of them. Uh, the Mead ambassadors, I I couldn't stop. I I mean, I got confused about if it was one or two guys a couple times, but either way, I kept picturing one or both of them as one of the like priest advisors from a uh, prince of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. A
0: prince of Egypt style, the thief series would be really good. With yeah. Songs.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I do not have any semblance of, of Christianity within me, but that is a, Good movie, separate from from any like religiousness. Like it's just great. I mean, I feel like you can enjoy it from a lot of different religious perspectives too. No, totally. I just say that because I was raised Christian, and I don't think of myself as belonging to that anymore. And it's cool that like I have liked it for my entire life. And the songs Mm -hmm. slap. (laughs) They they go really
0: hard. Yeah,
1: really hard. Yeah. Um yeah, there There Can Be
0: Miracles is screaming in my head right now as we talk about this.
1: I always the one that always gets stuck in my head is let my people go. Mm-hmm. And then at the like very end of the song there's like Ramses' face and Moses' face. And they're singing it together. So good.
0: Yes, so good. Oh my god, I'm shaking in my chair. Yeah. The mead liquor is a clear alcohol that sounds incredibly strong, like ever clear levels, yeah. but then it has mint and fennel flavor mm-hmm. once you've swallowed it. It's called rem chick and the ambassador says... Please drink. The flavor comes in the swallow, which I was like, "Gross!" Yeah, Calm down. <laughs> but, also, but it also, I wondered if you might have any experience to share of um, your time in Russia drinking vodka, because I felt like totally, this yeah. was modeled after that, where it's like you don't sip it; you're supposed you shoot to shoot it. You take it, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> take it down. You
1: drink that vodka, and then in twenty minutes, Yuri will pour will pour you another one. <laughs> yep
0: okay and that's all the food so maybe we'll try to find some rem chick for our pretend food um i'm just trying to get you drunk
1: i don't drink much so it'll only take a little (laughs)
0: let us wrap up this wide-ranging conversation with our badass ladies
1: i feel like i have chosen her before I mean I definitely have there we've done four of these we books re, now we can repick it can be the same it's okay. I'm I'm gonna do edis um I I really really like edis uh she seems also kind of the most like earthy and I don't yeah. know nature connected to me yeah um mm-hmm. Maybe because they're like a mountain forest kingdom. Yeah. Maybe I because know. of it's the biome. Really, I,
0: I love the that land. Like mm-hmm. I love the time, the limited time that we get to be in it is. It's really lovely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my rating for her is support from a deity to end slavery.
0: <laughs> Bringing it all back. Back. Tighten it up. <laughs> I think I'm gonna make Sophos my badass lady. Um, I appreciate having a, not just a protagonist in this series, but a king who has like a lot of like feminine energy about him Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um he struggles with a uh, um inferiority complex mm-hmm. he is constantly feeling like everyone else is more together than he is and that he's not prepared but when push comes imposter to imposter syndrome
1: which imposter is syndrome common, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely a lot of
0: healthy yeah. he does of imposter syndrome yeah um and he finds i i actually I really liked that he was ready to live as a laborer. I know. Yeah. He was like, you know, like I have a pretty good life. Um, And I do feel fulfilled by my work. And he was like, this could be my life. Um, And the reason ultimately that he decides he should leave isn't because he decides he doesn't want that life. It's because he decides, like, he has to have a free choice to say what his life is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if he were to just stay and do that, he would just be allowing himself to, yeah, remain in that role, remain a slave.
1: Yeah. Um, And he doesn't, he doesn't directly talk about this, but... By stepping into a leadership vacuum, um, you do have the potential to do so much good. For sure. Yeah. And he's already very intent
0: on not being his uncle who fostered um, fear and Mm -hmm. is... Te- definitely the one that led to the Baron's rebellion. Yeah, because he, he was a terrible. He was a jerk. He wanted them all to think that he was constantly going to turn on them, and he tried to turn them on each other. Yeah, like I feel like that's fear. not explicitly said either, but like it's yeah. his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, he does die, so yeah, he's <laughs> like, dead. He, it's true. he has to take it on in that way, <laughs> and then he doesn't care about it anymore because he's dead. Because <laughs> <the> sweet release. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> My rating for Sophos is uh, a never-ending roast chicken cauldron. He can just hop on over, put his hand in, and out comes a perfect rotisserie chicken, ready to be munched, munched, munched on down. He doesn't have to ask the magus if he's going to finish his thigh. He's got plenty all to himself. Like Gergie's food wallet. Exactly like Gurgi's food wallet, one of the greatest fantasy pretend food moments that we here at Dragon Babies
1: have ever witnessed.
0: <laughs> Munchings and crunchings. Yeah,
1: I, I say little Gurgi-isms to myself all the time or to my Gergi's best. the best. Gurgi's the best. Yeah.
0: And so with that, we uh, bid farewell to young Sophos. I wish him well. We will finish this series. We've been doing, like, one every two years. So (laughs) it's going to be a little while. Like, here at Dragon Babies, we reward long-term listenership. (laughs) Your loyalty. Give us your loyalty. Stay tuned. Our next book is going to be something... A different. We're doing a contemporary YA fantasy book by a person of color. We're going to be covering Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Super excited. It sounds amazing. I think it's really going to be my jam. Um, cool. So stay tuned. That will be out in a couple weeks. If you would like to make a request, of a book for us to cover you can find us on our website dragonbabiespodcast.com I'll also put some really cute fan art of Sophos and Edis that I found on Tumblr while researching for this episode still a place to find fan art Uh, (laughs) on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod
1: I have an Instagram check it out for my art and uh, pictures of my dog pig and doodles P I G. Letter N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Follow for pig and doodles. Nice. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.